To Scream Scene, the horror movie podcast where we watch every horror movie ever made in chronological order and then we rank them from best to worst. My name's Sarah. And I'm Ben. Thanks for listening to us today. How is your day going so far, Ben, on this fine autumn day? Well, it's nice and sunny and it's been a pretty like low-key kind of day and that's always nice to have. So yeah, doing all right. Yeah, it's been nice with uh, the weather getting cooler and then the blue skies. It just feels like quintessential fall weather, and that's the kind of weather I like. Well, you do like it sort of a little on the chilly side. Yes. Before we dive in, I do just want to give um, a couple of housekeeping items. So the last couple episodes you might have heard... We have been having issues with the list on Tumblr. We have discovered that that is because Tumblr has a built-in hyperlink scrubbing thing that if it determines that there are too many hyperlinks on your page, it gets rid of all of them um, as a method to try to limit spamming, I guess. So we have a new version of the list. It's basically a viewable Google Doc. Um, so you can see everything there. You can find the links to each episode there, etc. So thank you for your patience as we sorted that out. Yeah, that was a bit of an ordeal. Yes, uh, I hate looking at code and my eyes are going cross-eyed doing so. It was not a fun time, but we figured it out and we have a solution. The other thing I want to uh, jump up is that um, coming out this Saturday is going to be our fourth horror-adjacent bonus episode. As determined by our patrons at patreon.com slash screamscenepodcast, they voted for us to watch the 1944 Gaslight. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Yeah, that was a lot of fun to, um, to record. It's a movie that I've wanted to see for a long time, so uh, I was quite happy, uh, quite quite chuffed, as uh, <laughs> some people might say. Um, what people? Isn't that a saying? I don't know. Well, anyways, watch your RSS feeds. Um, what are we watching today, Ben? Today, Sarah, we are heading over to Mexico for Ladron de Cadaveres uh, from 1957, directed by Fernando Mendez. Do you have a translated title? I'm guessing one of the words is cadavers. Yeah. So the translated title is the body snatcher. Right. Um, which really makes this movie hard to Google search between there being the Boris Karloff horror movie, the body snatchers from 1945. And then of course, invasion of the body snatchers and all of its various remakes. Um, so I, I generally have just been, thinking of this movie in terms of its spanish title because otherwise it's easy to get it sort of mixed up with other movies sure fair enough so it's it's been a while since we were last in mexico uh, i believe the last mexican film we saw was la bruja in 1954 which was interesting yes um a lot it did of drink it is a horror movie yes <laughs> A lot of these Mexican films have had like interesting mixes of elements in them. Um, sort of a blender approach to horror sometimes. Yeah. By the mid 1950s, Mexican cinema was in a period of decline mm -hmm. owing to competition from television. Sort of the same as everywhere else. Yeah. In Mexico, on television, Lucha Libre, uh, pro wrestling, had taken hold and captivated the country, uh, largely thanks to the efforts of promoter Salvador Luteroth. The first luchador film to try and capitalize on this trend was 1952's Huracan Ramirez, which was very down-to-earth, basically just like a standard sports movie about a wrestler. Um, compared to the sort of flights of fancy that the luchador genre would become known for down the road. Okay. Filmmaker Fernando Mendez had been writing and directing feature films since the 1940s, initially in the Western genre that dominated Mexican films for years. Makes sense why. <laughs> right. 
Uh, but for this film, Mendez and his co-writer Alejandro Verbitsky hit on the idea of mixing a mad scientist horror concept inspired by the old Universal flicks with a wrestling theme. Oh, cool. Now, in this movie, the wrestling element... Oh, it's sort of hard to talk. Like, there's... Okay, so pro wrestling. Yeah. Lucha Libre, which just means free fight, um, is pro wrestling in Mexico. Yeah, and, and they I, have the masks and all that. Right, and and the mask thing is something that like we associate with luchadors and with Lucha Libre um, because it sort of became like a trademark element yeah. of Lucha Libre, but it's not like, like not every wrestler is a masked wrestler. It's just that's a tradition that was born out of Mexican wrestling. Like in Mexico, Lucha Libre is just, the like what pro wrestling is called you yeah. know what i mean similarly to like how canadians don't all eat poutine and only poutine i guess i don't know but yes the the masked thing is very important a lot of the most famous luchadors wore masks and the whole deal was like you never take that mask off mm-hmm. and you never show your true identity um this is kind of like a evolution of the concept in pro wrestling like in american pro wrestling um called kayfabe Mm -hmm. where like there's reality like real actual true reality and then there is the personas of the wrestlers and this idea that like yeah you know my name is hulk hogan and (laughs) this is my backstory and this is where i'm from and this is my deal you know, and I hate this guy and this guy hates me and I have a rivalry with these people. And like, you know, I, I was good last year, but now I'm a jerk and that kind of thing. And nowadays, like in 2021, we really understand like that's made up. Like, like wrestling is a form of storytelling, just like comic books. Like Mm -hmm. it's all just stories, but this is something that evolved out of the days when the fakeness of pro wrestling was kept more of a secret. Okay. Right. So it used to be kayfabe is a word that the industry that wrestlers use to describe the fictional reality of their characters. And the like, matrix. Right. Keeping kayfabe meant like you didn't call someone by their real name. And so in Lucha Libre, that's also like you don't take the mask off. You don't let anybody know. Your secret identity. Right, exactly. Um, And so El Santo is El Santo. The Blue Demon is the Blue Demon. There's nothing more for you to look for there. And I bring all this up because the genre of Lucha Libre movies, of luchador movies in Mexico, would evolve into a genre that like told stories within kayfabe. Mm -hmm. So it wouldn't be like... To, to keep with an American example, it wouldn't be like, well, John Cena is playing Superman who's fighting Bizarro in this movie. It would be John Cena is fighting Bizarro in this movie. Yeah. Right? Um, you know, The Rock isn't the Scorpion King. The Rock is The Rock. And so in these later movies, um, this luchador subgenre would develop into this world where luchadors would appear as themselves depicted as superheroes fighting mummies, vampires, werewolves, robots, etc. Amazing. So this is all the contrast with Ledron de Cadaveres, which is the first movie to mix supernatural elements and wrestling elements. uh, And thus is like, very famous, like a very famous inflection point in Mexican cinema because this would become a huge thing. Yeah. This is like the branching off of a new subgenre. Right. But in Ladron de Cadaveres, this is a horror film with wrestling elements and the wrestling and the luchadors depicted here are like fictional. Um, Oh. So this is more akin to like... Henry Cavill playing a wrestler in a movie that has Dracula in it. You know what I mean? <laughs> Rather than the rock playing himself fighting, fighting the Dracula. mummy. Yeah, exactly. 
Oh my God. If you can follow that distinction. I think I can. Okay. So yeah. So in this movie, the wrestling is entirely fictional within the story of the movie. So. But is the guy who plays the wrestler an actual wrestler? Yes, but he's not playing himself. Or at least rather, he's not playing his wrestling persona. So Dwayne Johnson is in this movie not playing The Rock. Right. But playing like, I don't know, Triple B. It's it's like the time where Dwayne Johnson was in Star Trek Voyager. (laughs) Where he's playing like an alien wrestler who is not The Rock. Right? Yes. Okay. But he does do his eyebrow thing. Yes. So, um, <laughs> the later movies that would come out of this, um, most famously like the El Santo series or the Blue Demon series, they're more like camp superhero adventure movies, even though they've got Halloween monsters yeah. in them. Um, but they were extremely popular. They have a very large cult audience to today. I am frequently asked if we're going to be doing el santo movies and blue demon movies and the fact of the matter is is we aren't because they aren't really horror they're horror adjacent yes so we'll cover them eventually in the bonus episode sure there's also like a billion of them yeah like you know el santo was in like 52 movies over the course of yeah that's one a week yeah like 30 years um (laughs) so so yeah there's just like a lot of them and they're mostly like not accessible here in canada um Mm -hmm. with some exceptions of some real like cult classic titles so the wrestler in the story of this movie is named guillermo santana but he is played by wolf ruvinskis who was a pro wrestler who had been born in latvia in 1921 Uh, But his family moved to Argentina two years later, and he grew up in South America and became a pro wrestler to support his family. And uh, as a pro wrestler, uh, he performed as a rudo or a heel, Mm, uh, a bad bad guy. guy. Yeah. Uh, Under the name El Lobo Latonia, uh, which is the Latvian wolf. Yeah. Um, As he toured South America... He came to Mexico, and he was only supposed to be in Mexico for like two months, but he kind of fell in love with the country while he was there, and he decided to make his home there. He became a naturalized Mexican citizen. He got married there. He started a family there, became Mexican. However, uh, due to a series of accumulated injuries, he gave up wrestling by around 1950 in favor of acting, where he played wrestlers in movies. Yeah. But presumably didn't have to do the stunts in the same way. Yeah, like, (laughs) you know, a lot easier in a movie. Yeah. From 1960 to 1964, he even starred in his own luchador superhero series as the character Neutron. Neutron? Yeah, like Jimmy Neutron. (laughs) Crox Alvarado plays the heroic police captain. In this movie, uh, but he had also been a wrestler before becoming an actor. Eduardo Alcaraz plays his boss, the police chief, and um, he was sort of famous for having. He used to do radio, and he put on a version of Orson Welles's radio adaptation of War of the Worlds in Ecuador in 1949. So they did the same thing, the same gimmick of like pretending. It was real yeah. because it was Ecuador in 1949. Nobody knew about the original Orson Welles version down here. It's a different language. And it's a good gimmick. Um, When it was revealed at the end of the broadcast to be fictional, uh, an angry mob attacked the radio station and set it on fire, killing six people. Whoa. Okay, before you said that it killed people, I was going to question the legitimacy of it because you hear the stories around Orson Welles's broadcast and how a lot of those are kind of blown up beyond proportion. Mm. Um, but if it killed six people, then there's documentation that this actually happened. So, wow. Yeah, there was a, a number of citations that I followed to make sure. <laughs> the film's lead actress is Columba Dominguez, uh, who was born in 1929 and discovered at a young age by director Emilio Fernandez, who began casting her in his films at age 16. 
He cast her in two films in 1948 that shot her to stardom, Maclovia and Pueblerina. Excuse my pronunciations, by the way. Now, you may ask yourself, was this teen girl shot into stardom by the time she was 19, appearing in all these great movies by this one particular director who discovered her in a romantic relationship with that older director? And the answer would be yes. Um, But she would separate from Fernandez professionally in 1952. Um, Also, personally, uh, due to his numerous infidelities, um, Columba took their newborn daughter with her and broke up with him. But while she would remain separated from him professionally and go on to work for many other directors, uh, as varied as Luis Buñuel and Ismael Rodriguez, um, and continued to like appear in films, you know, in Mexico and Italy, all over the world. She did sort of maintain the romantic relationship with Fernandez on and off and on and off for years until his death in 1986. And her life has a lot of like tragedy in it. Um, her one daughter with him, uh, she died in the seventies after falling off like a fourth story balcony, um, for reasons unknown. Mm. Um, meanwhile, after Fernandez died, Fernandez had an adopted daughter who claimed like inheritance of all of Fernandez's stuff and his big fortress estate. (laughs) Um, but Columba said that she should be the one who's inheriting, not the adopted daughter. And there was like a big legal dispute that ultimately became moot when the adopted daughter died of unexplained, uncertain circumstances. Um, and then, like uh, true crime levels I of? I don't know. Okay. Um, but Columba herself would continue to appear in films up to her death at age 85 in 2014. Okay. She outlived them all. Right. Yes. So Ladron de Cadaveres was released on September 26th, 1957 by Internacional Cinematográfica. It was released in the United States in a dubbed version as The Body Snatcher by Columbia Pictures. Um, But while this is considered to be like a classic of Mexican horror cinema and like this, you know, major moment when luchador and horror met for the first time and it was released on dvd in 2005 um it has never received a subtitled home video release in english okay so there's there's no way to get this on home video with english subtitles you can get it in a few other countries like you can get it in japan with japanese subtitles um but nothing in english so how are we watching this well, um, you all, the dubbed version has also never been released on home video. Like, it existed for a few weeks in the 50s, and that's about it. So um, I had to really get into the weeds on this. Um, I felt this movie was, like, important enough that we shouldn't skip it. Sometimes we've been known to skip foreign films when we, like, cannot get English for them at all because we're not going to watch the movie without knowing what's going on or even, you know, having some idea. Yeah. Um, but in this case, I felt it was really important to do this movie. So I found a copy and then I, Ben Rowe, <laughs> uploaded that copy to YouTube. Okay. Where YouTube, I then asked, I said, this is Spanish YouTube. Please auto close caption this for me, which it then did. And now that it has auto close captioning on it, where YouTube guesses based on what it can hear on the grainy soundtrack people are saying. Now we can apply the auto translate into English where Google translate guesses at the correct translation of the transcript that YouTube is guessing at. And therefore we can watch the movie. Okay. Uh, I'm having flashbacks of when we would watch some movies. Like I think like the French golem had Russian dialogue like it was russian dubbed and then we had that translated into english in like auto captions or something yeah this will be interesting (laughs) yes we'll see how well this goes i will note that this movie was very successful in mexico its success led to mendez making his next horror film el vampiro uh very soon after and el vampiro is considered to be like 
one of the ultimate classics of Mexican horror cinema. And it's also, I think, what we're watching next week. Oh. Because we're going to be staying in Mexico for a while. Cool. Yeah. Love it. Um, Well, if it's up on YouTube, then folks should be able to find it on our YouTube playlist, right? That's correct. So if you want to watch along with us, you can head to our website, screamscenepodcast.tumblr.com and find the YouTube playlist there. You're going to hear a brief musical interlude, and when we come back, we will discuss La John de Cadaveras from 1957, directed by Fernando Mendez. See you on the other side, everybody. Welcome back, everybody. We just finished watching Ladron de Cadaveres from 1957, directed by Fernando Mendez. And uh, this was a good, fun little movie. What did you think, Sarah? This movie's dope. (laughs) I had a lot of fun. The only thing that I am sad about with this movie, it made me really miss real canadian wrestling right which is a league that uh performs here in calgary down at the legion we've been a few times and it is so much fun and it's like it's just amateur wrestling in an old danky hall where you like no one has smoked in in years but it still smells like it i think i've actually made this point before but it is amateur pro wrestling so something I definitely look forward to going to once everything is back to normal, <laughs> whenever that will be. But anyways, that's the only like downside of this movie is it makes you really miss like going to events and shouting mm. as someone takes like a chair to the face. Right, exactly. No chairs to the face here. Uh, no. It's not part of the Lucha Libre of milieu, but um, <laughs> why don't you... Give us the plot of the movie, Sarah. I'm sure it won't take long. (laughs) So we were kind of hacking into the mainframe in order to get some English subtitles, and they weren't the best. They were actually not good at all. (laughs) They, they, it was, it was, I mean, it it was what I needed them to be, which was just enough that I could like anchor on to like what people in scenes were talking about so I could follow the story, right? That being said, after like over 200 episodes of watching every horror movie ever made, we've seen this kind of story before and it follows those beats. We got a mad scientist, we got him doing experiments, and then we have a creature that he creates at the end. Yeah, we probably could have watched this without subtitles and, you know, basically gotten it, but I think we would have been... We would have lost some nuance. We would have been frustrated. I think it just would have been like frustrating to put the effort in. Having the like auto subtitles at least gives you like something to hold on to. Sure. So as we open, we see a man with a big cloak walking (laughs) through a foggy graveyard and his assistant pulling out a dead body. Later, we find that that dead body has been found Uh, But with, like, experiments done upon it, and the reporters are going wild. Turns out someone is stalking and killing pro wrestlers. Luchadors. Luchadors. They are either kidnapped and later turn up killed, or they are killed, their bodies stolen and experimented upon. So, Captain Robles, I can't do a Roldar. Captain Robles. Yeah, no, it... I, like, physically cannot do it, so I'm not even going to try. Um, so anyways, the captain here um, has set up with the police force to have cops basically surveilling the local gyms. Now, Rubble's best friend, Guillermo, is new to town. Uh, he's new to the city. They grew up together in, like, the small town, Mexico, and now they're here in the big city. And he has come because he wants to become a wrestler. Now, Robles is like, oh, well, I happen to have a connection to, like, a manager 
Um, so let me introduce you to him. And this is how Guillermo meets a secretary named Lucia. Um, kind of a, a nice little meet cute in the middle of this horror movie. Yes. While at the gym, we also meet someone who goes by Don Panchito. Now, Panchito, he is this old man. He's walking around kind of stiffly. He might be homeless. He's definitely seeing some very hard times given the state of his suit. And he is here to try to get some ins on like who to bet on at the next match. So no one really thinks much of him. And we see him like watch and kind of pick out a wrestler um, whose name is, I believe, El Lobo. Yes, I think so. There's an there's an El Lobo and an El Tigre, and I don't remember who was who. Well, I'm going to go with Lobo because he definitely has a Tord Johnson look about him. For sure. So he kind of eyes El Lobo, and that night he kind of follows him into um, the showers and jabs him with a needle. Uh, and we see that El Lobo is later picked up through the towel service, uh, <laughs> basically stuffed into a basket and wheeled out of the uh, the the gym. Turns out Panchito is our mad scientist who we saw at the beginning just in disguise. And we see that he has two assistants, one uh, with big eyebrows who uh, we saw at the beginning and he's the one who kind of wheeled everyone out. I didn't grab a name, so I'm go- going to call him Bob. And his second assistant, who looks more like um, like an older kind of doctory look, I am going to call this assistant Steve. Bob looks exactly like a character in Amelie. Yeah. Exactly. He looks like the guy at the fruit stand who everyone makes fun of, but like is also friends with like the reclusive painter, that guy. Yeah. He looks like exactly, exactly like him. It's yeah. it's uncanny. Yeah. Um. Steve doesn't look like anyone in particular. (laughs) So we see that they are doing an experiment with El Lobo, putting him into this uh, whirly machine and a chimpanzee (laughs) on the other side. And basically they are trying to put the chimpanzee brain into El Lobo, all in an attempt to, I believe, advance our evolution create the strongest man alive. Um, And since wrestlers are at their peak physical performance, they are targeting wrestlers. Now, unfortunately, Lobo dies, uh, as they say, because his brain wasn't good. Yeah, I mean, this is the part of the movie where having better subtitles probably would have helped in the like, what exactly are they doing and why? But from like the broader sense of it's a horror movie, He's a mad scientist doing mad scientist experiments. Exactly. Um, I do love that the philosophy of this movie is like, in order to survive the experiments, we need specimens who are in like their peak physical condition. So luchadors. Yes. Yeah, man. These are the the closest thing humanity has to (laughs) superhuman subjects. Now Lobo's body does show up and so it's like shit uh another one has hit the dust captain robles is at the end of his rope so he ends up talking guillermo into being bait and going undercover as a masked wrestler named el vampiro what i love about this is that like essentially the mexico city police like orchestrate an entire like career for el vampiro like starting him out in the u.s to like build up his name and then taking him like on tour through mexico through the sticks on like a series of victories so that like by the time he gets to mexico city he's like ultra famous and stuff because it just makes it, it reminds me of people who like on twitter will be like oh like Anya Taylor-Joy is a CIA psyop. And you're like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. But like, here we are with the police orchestrating the rise of a new wrestling celebrity. (laughs) And it works. Mm -hmm. El Vampiro is chosen as the next specimen. There's a bit of a convoluted plan uh, in order to get El Vampiro to our mad scientists. To sum it up, uh, he gets like injured in the arm. And they swapped some solution with the, like, wrestling doctor. Um, I'm definitely imagining a doctor character as a wrestler. I'm sure it's been done. (laughs) I'm sure. And so when the doctor, like, 
you know, sterilizes the wound, um, this solution gets into his blood and right in the middle of the match, uh, Guillermo dies on stage. It's very traumatic for Lucia, um, for Robles, um, cause they, they thought they had just caught the guy. One of the assistants gets shot. Bob gets shot in the process of, of setting up this convoluted plan. So yes, the police are like, Oh, well, we caught the guy. Well, at least Guillermo's death had a purpose. Yeah. Then we see that Steve is getting Guillermo's body out of the morgue because Panchito doesn't do any of the heavy lifting himself. No. This is why he has assistance. This is why he's trying to make the superior man. <laughs> um, so yeah, they steal Guillermo's body. They bring him to the experiment table and it works. Um, he has the brain of a, an ape and um, he's following commands. He's afraid of fire, like, you know, the traditional Frankensteinian monster. Right. And so it's time for the ultimate test, which is in the ring. <laughs> um, so attendance to wrestling matches has gone down since the death of El Vampiro. And so um, the managers i guess have promoters come, the promoters have come up with a new shtick they have hired a new vampiro vampiro 2.0 mm-hmm. um he's still masked and all that jazz uh he gets got by Guillermo and he takes he takes the mask back yes <laughs> so uh Guillermo 2.0 is now in the ring and he's as the match goes on, he gets more and more animalistic in his attacks and eventually just like tosses the dude into the crowd. Yeah. And not just like, you know, how you see in pro wrestling. No, like he flies. Yeah. You know, it's like Mario tossing Bowser. Yes. It's ridiculous. Yes. Um, and he rips off the mask despite the attempts of um, telepathic control from Panchito. And the entire crowd sees this, like, Guillermo, who they recognize as Vampiro 1.0, only this time he is bald with scars and teeth, uh, fangs. fangs. <laughs> uh, so the crowd stampedes out, uh, trampling some goer, uh, some other attendees, as well as poor Steve. Mm-hmm. So no more assistance to go. Yeah. Benchito does chase Guillermo through the halls to try to get him back under control. And just as he has Guillermo cornered, Guillermo turns and suddenly he's even more animalistic with just like full monkey face. He's got like hair all over his, you know, chest and arms and stuff. And then his his face kind of like gets like like tusks. Like he looks kind of like an orc yeah exactly um yeah in his second form here now this happens right in front of panchito's eyes and he's like what the fuck this isn't what's supposed to happen it's like what did what did you think was going to happen like did you have a plan (laughs) uh anyways guillermo he can't speak or anything um but he clearly takes his revenge on panchito by skewering him on some uh hangers on the wall yeah like a like a coat hook or something yeah yeah just like completely got so uh wrap it up boys (laughs) we've defeated the mad scientists yet again guillermo now more ape than man Mm. um runs through the streets finds where lucia lives and climbs up her apartment building um getting up to her and um you know attacking her at night she faints. He carries her up to the roof. As you do. As you do. You know, he's seen King Kong. He yeah. knows what he has to do. Now, Robles has, like, everyone knows that it's Guillermo. So Robles is like, okay, he's probably going to go to Lucia because he's left the, like, wrestling building. So they make it there and they follow him up to the roof. Because Robles has also seen King Kong. Yes. <laughs> also knows what he's supposed to do. <laughs> and they confront Guillermo on the roof. He puts the girl down, moves towards Robles. He does try to like be like, Guillermo, like, it's me. We're best friends. Come back to me. And uh, there's no dice. Guillermo gets shot and uh, he falls off the, the roof of this like 20-story apartment building. Twas beauty killed the beast. Now say it in Spanish. No. <laughs> um, 
And that's pretty much the end. Uh, we do get a scene at the end where Lucia is being given a certificate and medal from like the commissioner of police and Ropels is there too saying like, you know, this is in recognition of uh, Guillermo's sacrifice and without him doing all of this, we wouldn't have been able to catch and stop the mad scientists and the criminals stealing these bodies. So th this is in recognition of his memory. And we learned a valuable lesson about how there are some things man was not meant to know and don't yada, tamper yada. in God's domain. And yeah, exactly. usual. The end. Yeah. So this, this movie is very fun. It's very dope. It's very fun. Um, there's a lot of good, like moody cinematography. Absolutely. These people know what a horror movie is supposed to look like, and they are achieving that in spades. Um, so much uh, shadowy goodness. Um, at times, it almost feels like they are inspired a little bit by some film noir mm -hmm. with like some of the shadow from blinds. There's uh, also like a lot of great light and shadow in the chase scenes that feels yes. very film noir as well. Yeah, very uh, inspired by Third Man. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. A lot of cool stunts. Yes, both in and out of the ring. Mm -hmm. um, though, as you can kind of guess, uh, there's a lot of emphasis on the fights and matches in the ring. Yeah. Um, because the director knows what people are here to see. We're here to see wrestling and some spooks and scares along the way. Yeah, so there's a lot of good Lucha Libre content with some impressive like moves and yeah. stuff. But yeah, we are kind of treated to like several matches through the movie. And they never drag on. It never feels like we stop the movie to have these matches. No, but they are like significant parts of the movie. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think the reason why it doesn't drag on is because you can feel a little bit of that ramping up in like um, the stakes, mm. I guess. It did drag on a little bit because I think they're trying to set the mood. Um, the dragging on was uh, in the beginning because we have to set up Guillermo and no, look, he's in love with Lucia and she loves him back. And now he's going undercover and here's how they're getting El Lobo and what they're doing. Um, but once El Vampiro appears, um, the movie is like the pace is really well done. Uh, the monster makeup is mm -hmm. really fun nice and like gruesome monster design the transformation is more like just like cuts there's mm -hmm. no dissolving there might be one um but the print itself was a little grainy so it was a little difficult to tell um but i mean i think they do it really well they don't try to do they don't try to copycat wolfman right. if you know what i mean like the way that Wolfman focuses on the hands and then on the face and then like different things like that. It's just, no, he suddenly he's an ape man. Yes. The plot would be pretty weak, but the luchador element does what it's supposed to do, which is kind of like spice things up a little bit and make it feel different enough that it feels special. Yeah. Because I mean, like, as you kind of said at the top, like the base plot is something we've seen Many, many times. A million times. And because of the luchador content and having the like f the matches in the movie and stuff, um, we don't really get too deep into like what Don Panchito's deal is and like yeah. why he's doing what he's doing or what he wants. I mean, I, I grant that some of that might have been lost in the, the subtitle issue, but it still doesn't feel like the movie really cares. The movie's just like... This is a mad scientist. He's crazy. See, now that his stuff is working, he's laughing maniacally. And that's kind of it, because who cares? Yeah, like, I, I would guess that some of the dialogue, they explain this. They do mention that when they do find Bob, and they do some background checking onto him, mm -hmm. they're like, oh, he went to medical school for, like, a semester. He did two courses. Yeah. Uh, and then he like failed or dropped out or whatever. So you can kind of put the pieces together that, okay, he, Steve and Panchito were probably all at medical school. Um, or at least that's how they connected. And they all got kicked out because mad science, mad science. So it's the, kind of the, again, as you're saying, like the standard, like I'll show them. Yeah. Except we don't have the long, like, speeches on the part of the mad scientist yeah. which is good because we also wouldn't be able to understand it <laughs> yeah so instead what's providing the novelty is the luchador stuff yeah you know like 
taking El Vampiro once he's been resurrected and making him fight in the ring <laughs> as a demonstration of his power is, you know, like the putting on the Ritz sequence <laughs> of this movie where the scientist is showing off his creation and then everything goes wrong. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, even before Yiyomo turns into more of an ape man and he's just been like an experiment of experimented upon he is like larger and bulkier and the actor does like a really good job kind of showing off that menacingness Mm -hmm. um they do some for lack of a better word stunts where like he picks up this big cage and like tosses it at a wall and it's all done in a way that feels really like you can tell he's struggling but he's lifting it and it's impressive yeah yeah yeah, man. Um, this is not like a cinematic masterpiece, but it is very enjoyable. It's a it's a fun movie. It's a good time. I wish it was more widely available. I wish we could have watched this with like some proper subtitles. But luckily, the plot is simplistic enough that you can enjoy it as is, I think. Yeah, I will say um, I don't think they meant to do this particularly, but it was interesting to me how they had some plot beats that felt very reminiscent of a werewolf movie Mm. where you have this really nice guy who's not from around here. In the case of this movie, it's a country boy come to the city. Usually it's a city boy gone to the country and then he returns to the city. But in any case, he's from elsewhere. He gets caught up with what's going on in this new place. And then slowly, through no fault of his own, he turns monstrous. Yeah, there's there's Frankenstein elements in here. There's Wolfman elements in here. There's King Kong elements in here. And then there's wrestling. <laughs> and it works. It's so fun. Yeah. So do you want to move on to ranking? Absolutely. So, Sarah, I have just like a spot picked out. Oh. Do you have a range? I do. All right. Let's hear your range. Okay. So, first, I just want to point out that, as you said at the top of the show, um, the last Mexican horror movie we watched was La Bruja um, from 1954. It is currently ranked at number 82. The horror movie before that was El Monstro Resucitado, which is uh, from 1953 and ranked right below that. For me, for my money, La John de Cadaveras is better than La Bruja. Um, So I started looking above 82. Okay. For some other context, um, I did look at our highest ranking Mexican horror film, which is 1950s El Hombre Sin Rostro, which is ranked at uh, number 49. I didn't feel like La John de Cadaveras was that good. Mm Mm-hmm. So I started going like, okay, well, where does this seem to fit really well? And I was actually drawn to the area we were talking about last week. And it just felt like definitely better than Attack of the Crab Monsters at number 74. But I knew it wasn't better than Quatermass 2 at 68. So my range is 69, Jujin Yuki Otoko, down to 74, Attack of the Crab Monsters. Okay. The spot I picked was a little bit lower than your range. Okay. Um, Basically, I did the same thing you did. I looked for La Bruja. And then right above that, there's The Undead from Roger Corman, which is the movie where the crazy psychologist has his sex worker patient take her mind back in time to the Middle Ages where she's a witch because she's made a deal with a devil to save her night boyfriend and then the psychologist goes back in time to take her back but gets trapped in the past yeah, by yeah, satan yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah so that's the undead right above the undead is el fantasma del convento which i think is actually a really spooky effective ghost story i didn't think ledron de cadaveres was better than either of those movies although i do enjoy it quite a bit i do think it's better than la bruja for sure because la bruja doesn't make sense and is kind of just a mix of random stuff in the same way that this kind of is, but like this comes together. You can follow it from point A to point B. La Bruja, it's like, what? What is this movie about? Why are we it's about at Night Court? So I just sort of decided that I would put this at 82, um, below the undead, above La Bruja. But, you know, I'm willing to look up from there in your 
area that you've picked out. Well, you're right about El Fantasma del Convento. Um, That movie is really, really well done. But the climax for my money is really when you see that mummy. Mm -hmm. And that's just like such a short moment. Mm -hmm. Um, Ladron de Cadaveras gives you exciting, thrilling, spooky moments a few times. For sure, for sure. I mean, El Fantasma del Convento is very old-fashioned in the way of how it's a ghost story in the sense that it's, you know, about these people who go to this convent. Things are a little weird. They don't really know what's up, but, like, there's a bunch of monks here and, and you know, things seem strange. They go to sleep in the convent. Um, a guy sees, an un, like, a dead person, like a real dead person, and then they wake up in the morning and there's no one there, and it becomes obvious that all those monks they saw last night were ghosts. And it's like, that's a, it's a very basic, like campfire style ghost story. The other reason why I am hesitant to go this low is because at 78 is Night Monster. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would be okay with maybe putting this above Attack of the Crab Monsters. Below Cat Girl. Below Cat Girl. Although I'm trying to think if I liked this more than Cat Girl. It's tough because Catgirl was also like, yeah, we've seen this. Right. And it's not really doing a whole lot more to shake it up. But the tension and the spooks and the atmosphere is a lot more sustained, I think, because in Ladron de Cadaveras, like the matches are good and they don't slow down the pacing, but they definitely do interrupt the atmosphere that they were already kind of setting up. That's fair. I could also see putting this above Revenge of the Creature, which sort of has that rehash issue again, and below it came from Outer Space, which is kind of the first um, the aliens are mind-controlling people movie. Yeah. Yeah, man, this is tough. Um, Part of why it's tough is, like, we have been seeing horror from Mexico, but a lot of it has been like inspired by Universal. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. that's exactly what a Monstro Resuscitado was. It was like, let's make a Universal movie that's Mexican. Yes. La Bruja, you know, was a little bit messy, but at least it was an attempt to try to make a Mexican horror movie mm-hmm. rather than like a Mexican Universal movie. And I feel like La Dronda Cadaveras is another like, this is a Mexican horror movie. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think the other thing that's difficult is the stuff that I find really like fun about Ladron de Cadaveres is the stuff that isn't horror in it. Because mm. the horror stuff's all stuff we've seen before. So the stuff that spices it up is the other genre being sprinkled in here of the luchador stuff, right? So it's like, how high up the list can you really push it with that? That's that's a good point. Okay. Thinking about the way that it does the horror, let's take the, from the El Vampiro 2.0 match to the end, that sustained like horror sequence and like the horror in El Fantasma del Convento. Yeah. I mean, I think El Fantasma del Convento is scarier. Yeah. Um, Honestly, it's just that like Ladron de Cadaveras is very fun Yeah. and, but you know, it's still like, it's still just Murders in the Room Morgue or King Kong or like any of these things we've seen a lot of times before, you know, it's just a fun version of those. So yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm cool with this area. I think what's causing me some trouble is I don't, I think Follow the House of Usher, Phantom of the Convent, Undead, these three movies maybe should be above the monster rally films instead of below them. I think, I think the list might be a little fucked in this spot. <laughs> what? But you know, the list is the list. We work with what we've got. So, but it's why I'm like, well, I could put this at number 82 or I could put this at number 74. It, it's why that's why I'm having the difficulty here. You know what? Let's go with above La Bruja, below the undead. And the reason I'm feeling that is because um, House of Frankenstein is, you know, hitting the greatest hits, has that metatextual of like, hey, it's George Zuko. 
House of Dracula has the really good um, Dracula moments with what's his face? John Carradine? John Carradine. Like, I, I think it does really well. So I, I'm going to stand behind where the these house movies are. Mm. Frankenstein meets the Wolfman is tough. I think we give it credit because it's like bringing those two characters together and yeah, it's it, hampered by the baggage that Frankenstein brings. But it's, you know, the first cinematic crossover movie. Yeah. So I'm going to stand by those and have LeJohn did Cadaveras go below that. The reason I'm feeling below the undead is because that was like, I think the first time that I saw the Bridie Murphy stuff actually work. Sure. As like bonkers as that movie is. Yeah. That's a movie that like, as I was reminding you what that movie was, I could see your face go like, oh, like you'd completely forgotten what that movie was when you were looking at your, your <laughs> ranking and stuff. So There's so many, Ben. There's, there's so many movies. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm good with that then. So entering the list at the new number 82, below The Undead and above La Bruja, is Ledron de Cadaveres from 1957, directed by Fernando Mendez. If you would like to see this list, you can go to our website, screamscenepodcast.tumblr.com. Uh, as I said at the top of the show, we have the list now on a viewable Google Docs, so it's nice and pretty and branded, and go look at it. I spend a lot of time on it. <laughs> um, make me feel good about my life. Um, if you would like to contest this or any other ranking, uh, including um, the houses of Universal. You can drop us a line through our ask box on Tumblr. You can reach out over email at screamscenepodcast at gmail.com or over Twitter at underscore screamscene. Screamscene updates every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Spotify. You can subscribe to the show through our RSS feed and help us out by leaving a rating or a review. You can tell a friend about the show and get them listening, and that grows the audience, and that makes us feel good about ourselves. <laughs> or if you want to financially support the show, you can do so by heading over to patreon.com slash podcast, where you can become a patron of the night for as little as a dollar a month. Patrons at the 5 and $10 level get access to regular bonus content, and we're heading into October when normally we have all kinds of extra Halloween goodies. So that's patreon.com slash screamscenepodcast. Now, Ben, I think you said it at the top of the show, but what are we watching next week? Well, we're staying in Mexico for a while, Sarah, and next week we're watching the next film from this same director. And despite the title, it is not a sequel or follow-up appearance by the main wrestler of this story, <laughs> um, but it is El Vampiro which I want to point out is the third movie called The Vampire that we've seen in 1957. Yeah. Mendes didn't write this movie, but I think he saw the name The Vampire mm. and was like, that would be a dope movie. <laughs> and then makes that movie. Well, we'll find out next week, Creatures of the Night. Bye. Bye. Bye.